no matter what happens in this life, you were created to be awesome. So put on your cape and get your best shoes and get out there and kick some butt. And I can't wait to meet you. Welcome to Starve the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Our co-host today is April Best. That's right. The April Best from carelessinthecareofgod.com. Hey, April. Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. We are fortunate today to speak with Ronnie Harden. Ronnie is a dreamer, builder, educator, book lover, coffee drinker, and writer. She is the seeker of the unique. You can learn more about Renee by visiting her website, ReneeHarden.com. Renee, it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jared. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, this may be new to you, and I'll explain, but we always kick off with a little bit of icebreaker. It's, it's kind of fun. It, it kind of gets the conversation going. And I ask this question to everybody that's on the show. What is the best concert that you have ever been to? Well, Jared, I've done my homework and I've listened to your <laughs> podcast, so I kind of knew this question was coming. And, you know, I've been thinking about it for weeks now because it's kind of unfair given that I've been in the entertainment industry somewhat for the last 30 years. So <laughs> do you want my top five ever or can I give you my top five of top or the best I've seen recently? Because that's such a hard question to answer. <laughs> you know, I, I say answer from your soul. You know, <sighs> what concert was like, yeah, that's the one. Oh, well, I mean, there was so, okay, I've seen Pink Floyd's The Wall live. Michael Jackson's tour with Victory Tour with his family was awesome. Coldplay, their Viva La Vida tour was amazing. But I can honestly say that one of my best concert experiences ever was one of my very first concerts, and this will kind of date me. (laughs) I saw from the floor, standing right below Steven Tyler, the Toys in the Attic tour of Aerosmith. Nice. And it was amazing, especially for a young girl to see. So (laughs) no comment. All right, let's go into blank versus blank. We're going to give you a couple of options if if you'd be willing to choose one and maybe a short reason why. April, would you kick us off? Yep. Ronnie, Hawaii or Alaska? Oh, are you kidding? Hawaii, of course. (laughs) My Hawaii day. Mahalo. And I was, I don't know, I just thought you might say Alaska. So I was stumped on that one. So no, I'm joking. So the next blank versus blank, would you rather call Bob Golf versus wear five-inch heels for a 12-hour day? Oh, okay. I can say that I have done the latter and looked quite fabulous doing it, by the way. (laughs) And I have called Bob Golf. So I've done both and both have equal amounts of discomfort and equal (laughs) amounts of awesomeness. How's that? That actually could be the next blank versus blank is discomfort versus awesomeness. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) All right, so let's roll in to finish this sentence, and we'll give you the beginning of a sentence, and if you'd be willing to complete the sentence. Go ahead, April. If you ever call Bob Goff, don't call him at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, (laughs) West Coast time. (laughs) Oh, yes. If you're going to do it big, just go big, right? Wake the man up. Well, whether it's 6 a.m. or not, love does, right? That's right. (laughs) At least it wasn't the five club. It could have been worse. (laughs) It could have been worse. How was that conversation? It was amazing. In fact, you know, I recorded it. I thought I was going to get my friends back for, hey, Ronnie, we want you to do this. Like it was some dare, which I'm always up for. And I did it and recorded it thinking, okay, I'm going to record it and show you that I actually called and went to voicemail because he's a really important guy and he's not going to answer his phone. And then I can say I did it and you guys will leave me alone. And then he answered the phone. (laughs) 
And then I was kind of caught in my own little, you know, shenanigan and it kind of backfired. And so I had a seven minute conversation with the man after waking him up. So, yeah, <laughs> that's how that went. And it was Yeah, awesome. but I applaud your bravery. That's cool. Most people probably be like, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. So good for you. Yeah, I think I'm good for the next month or so. Fair enough. All right. We'll put you on the hot seat here in the interview. We got some more finished sentences. Uh, The next one is the best thing about having a unique name is. You always know when people get to you in a roll call. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Good answer. I've had it happen more than once. You know that there's always a pause and then there's this look and then they start to somewhat try to pronounce it and yet start butchering it in various different ways. And then I got to a point where I would just stand and go, um, Ronnie, is that what you're looking for? Oh, yeah, that's it. And then they would say, Ronnie. Thank you, Ronnie. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. It's just, you know, it's my cross to bear. So what's the worst thing about having a unique name? You can never find monogrammed items in the store. <laughs> you know, I was the kid that when we went to Disneyland, you would have to go up and you would have to write your name legibly and you would have to explain, you know, and there was always, oh, how did you get that name story? And you have to give them your story when all you want is your keychain or your Mickey Mouse hat that has your name correctly spelled on it. And Starbucks <laughs> cups are always fun. Oh, I'm sure. Do you have a good Starbucks story? I've Instagrammed a couple of pictures. So my name is spelled R-O-N-E-I and it's pronounced phonetically and it's real simple. And I had a cup come back (laughs) R-E-N-N-E-A-U. And I was like, what what is that? (laughs) Right? Is this the type of drink you gave me? I don't understand. (laughs) So I've started collecting them kind of as a let's see how badly we can butcher my name sort of a thing. That's awesome. All right. The last finish this sentence. Writing has the power to change a person's mind and reach a person's soul and change the world. I mean, I see it every day of my students. In fact, I have project presentations with them on Tuesday. And uh, every year I'm just blown away by what they bring to the table. So, yeah, it's definitely powerful. And that's why I love what I do. All right, April. That's the perfect segue into introducing (laughs) what you do. You're a literature teacher for an alternative school that gives classrooms to homeschool kids. Would you be willing to tell the listeners a little background about that love that you have for your students? Yes. So basically, I teach in a setting where we give homeschool high school students that are wanting to prepare for college a classroom environment with the same kind of academic standards and, you know, even higher, but allow them the ability to get creative with what their project presentations look like. So, for example, with my students, we study everything within a time cycle. So we just finished up the time period that's the latter 1700s, which is the French Revolution and the American Revolution. So we read all of the historical documents and the literature, say, from that time period. So my students read The Scarlet Pimpernel. They also read A Tale of Two Cities. They're also reading The Declaration of the Rights of Man. They read The Tennis Court Orth. They read all the, you know, so they have a big picture as to what's going on. And so what I'm having them do is they had to write their outline for their paper as if they were to write a paper. So they had to have an annotated outline with a works cited page with all their sources. And I give them certain criteria to meet as far as, you know, grade level. 
And then they have to stand in front of the class in front of a panel of judges that I put together with friends of mine who are editors, authors, writers, and actually working in the field using writing to come and judge them objectively, just to come in the day of presentations and hear them. And so they have to stand up and prepare a presentation using their outline to the class and to the judges. So I explained to them how writing can be utilized if you are walking into a client's office to prepare a pitch, if you are preparing a sermon or preparing a lesson for a small group, or if you're going to teach the eighth grade students about the French Revolution, whatever it is. So I try to give them a vision and a picture for why they need to know how to write because most of these kids are smarter than I am. I mean, when I have tech difficulties playing a PowerPoint, they're like, uh, Miss Renee, you want to go to your settings and look at the, you know, and they go up and help me get everything running. And then I sit down and try to look smart and teach them something. So, you know, I'm dealing with kids who are smarter than us, basically. They're light years ahead in what they are able to do. And yet I need to give them a why. Why do I need to read this literature? Why do I need to write you a paper? Why do I need to do this when I can code my own website? So we have fun in class. They're actually anxious to do this. I, you know, I do quizzes playing Jeopardy with them. There's different ways to teach them and then figure out what they've learned and give them the creativity to present that in their own way. So I kind of accomplish the same things and we meet the same academic standards. And most of my students that come out test usually with a 30 or higher on the ACT in English. So that's kind of the goal and to get them ready for college so that when they enter that, you know, in that arena, they're prepared instead of scared. So yeah, that's my day job. Let's talk about a moment when you were sitting in Vanderbilt's waiting room. You wrote what would become for you a life-changing blog post. If you'd be willing maybe to share a little bit about that blog post, and then also if, if you were able to imagine the impact your honesty would have on so many lives. So I was part of John's group. I met John. I actually had read his blog for a long time back when he first started. And I just thought, gosh, he reminds me of a couple of my students that I've had. And uh, just clever and witty and just all over the map, but brilliant. And so I enjoyed reading his posts and attended his Quitter Conference. And I got to know him then. So when it came time for the Start Book to launch, I was invited to a thing that we had here in Franklin, Tennessee, where he had a group of us all pulled together. And he gave us advanced copies of the book. And he kind of let us know what was going on with Start and wanted us to read it and write reviews and get it going because it was going to drop. Well, in the midst of all of this is when my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so I still participated in the group. I was still in it when the start experiment kind of started. They kept me in the group, but I kind of just more in lurk mode and just kept up with certain people like Tammy Helfrich and people that I knew. And then there was a long period where I did nothing because I was having to face this with my husband. And in the course of him being ill, we had several times where he was in and out of Vanderbilt Hospital. And this one time that he was going in, they were going to put a stent in his bile ducts to keep them open because the tumor was wrapping itself around them and almost blocking that up and causing damage to his liver and causing him to be very jaundiced. And so he was going in for yet another procedure. And I'd been at Vanderbilt before. This was my husband's third battle with cancer. He'd had a treatable form before. So I'd been there before. And there's a waiting area where a lot of the trauma patients are, you know, Vanderbilt being the kind of hospital it is. This is, you know, where car accident victims come and those kinds of things. So I'm sitting in a waiting room with people who are just out of their mind with grief, sorrow, worry. And I just put my headphones in and went to a corner with my laptop. And I asked God to get me out of that place somehow. 
and I just was reminded of this old blog that I had that I had kind of started a while back and sort of put on the back burner. And I had seen some of the posts coming around about the conference. And I felt like Cinderella, not able to go to the ball, watching everybody else getting to go. But I had to stay because my husband was sick and I couldn't leave him. So I kind of just in tongue in cheek, I sort of like started typing, you know, dear John. And then I went, oh, that's a dear John letter. That's kind of funny. And sometimes when I have really difficult situations in my life, I always default to funny because it's just my way of walking through my grief with a smile. And so I kind of started writing and I thought, oh, how funny. I'm going to write him a dear John letter. Dear John, so glad your conference is going great. Everything's going great. Your life is so great. You know, you're Instagramming people on the plane and food and talking about this stuff. And here I sit and my life is falling apart. And it doesn't matter because, and I kind of wrote it just sort of as a funny, you know, kind of a way to just talk about what I was going through. And I had his book with me because I was reading it at the hospital. And so in the midst of all of that, I was reading words from someone who told me that it wasn't over, that even if it did fall apart, I could pick up the pieces and start over again. And at the moment, I wasn't believing it, but I was trying so hard to hold on to something because I was telling God, if my husband didn't come out of that operating room, I didn't want to either. And so I was at a place where God had to do something. And so I threw that post out there just thinking, you know what, God, this is all I got. This is all I got. This is all that's left of me. And I'm going to throw it out there. And maybe someone, maybe somebody will see it. Well, a lot of people saw it and it blew up. And John saw it not once, but had it emailed to him personally six different times. And all of a sudden, I was contacted by his people. I was told that someone had paid my way to go to the conference and that they would like me to be a guest at the conference. And I just was floored. And I thought, I can't, how am I going to do this? You know, my husband came out of the procedure. He was stable. He was okay. He was going to, you know, and he was able to come home. We had hospice care coming to take care of us. And my precious daughter said, well, mom, she went to the quitter conference with me. And so she knew how important this was. And she said, mom, I'll stay with dad and you can go. So, you know, there it was. God just kind of threw me in the midst of a bunch of people I didn't even know in the midst of a situation that I was so totally not prepared to walk into. And I guess the rest you can say is history. Changed my world forever. How's that? Rene, you've been called inspiring, strong, brave, authentic, and incredible. What do you call yourself? A sassy petite Hawaiian? <laughs> you know, I hear you use those words, and I just, I shake my head and I go, you know what? It's really not about me. It's just what God will do when you're finally ready to just release it to Him. And as hard as that is, it's what has to happen if it's going to work out the way it needs to. I just want to be encouraging to people. I just want them to know that it's it'll be okay. I want them to know that, it, yes, it hurts and it sucks. And there are days when you just want to bang your head into the wall. And I still have those days. But, but God always shows up. He always shows up. I mean, it's been five months. Next week will be five months since my husband passed. And I'm still here. And so all I can say is it's not me. It's all him. It really is. What advice do you have for the listeners who are not calling themselves by the right name and are in the middle of what seems like an impossible situation? You know, what you have to remember is the pain that you are feeling in the moment. And I know it sounds cliche to say this, but what God kept reminding me over and over and over again, he would always tell me, I understand. I know. I know this hurt. You know, I had to be reminded that you know, God let things happen to his son. 
God had to let sin fall on his son. He had to turn. You know, it hurt God so badly that, you know, the Bible records it, that when Jesus died, the earth shook, the heavens, everything split. I mean, matter was starting to fall apart because God's grief was so great that the earth, the universe, everything, I mean, you know, that's why the people standing there said, surely this has to be God's son because they felt that they saw it. Creation was starting to fall apart because God's grief was so intense. And yet he held it together to allow the plan to be fulfilled. So in the moment when your grief is so extreme, it's okay to be mad at him. Believe me, I was mad at him more times than I care to even admit to. He can handle your anger. He can handle your grief, but he wants us to rise up in faith. You know, we can't wallow in our circumstances. We just can't because then that gives the circumstances power over us. He's given us the authority to speak to them. He's given us the authority to rise up in them. And then we have to trust God for whatever the outcome is. I think we get too wrapped up in thinking that, well, all I have to do is this and say this and look at these scriptures and confess this, and then this will happen. It's not an if-then situation. It's a we do all these things, and then we have faith and trust that God's plans are going to be fulfilled. So you can't stay there. You can be sad, you can be angry, but you cannot stay there. You can't, because then it has the power to drag you down, and that's exactly what the enemy wants. In the last year and a half, you have lived a lifetime. Would you be willing to share a little bit about what has happened during that time and how your dreams have changed? I have realized that I don't have as much control as I thought I did. I realize that my job is to come alongside of people instead of drag them or push them. I have learned how much I am actually afraid of things that I never thought I'd be afraid of and how brave I can be to face some things that I never thought I would have to face. And it's really shown me a lot about me. You know, I thought it was about my husband. I thought it was about that. But serving him and taking care of him and being there with him all that time and with our children was an incredible experience that only our family will be able to hold on to and remember because we experienced it together. My husband is saved and he's healed. And I prayed for 20 years for that to happen. So it just didn't happen the way I thought it would. I didn't want it to happen that way, but it's what God had to use to bring my husband to him. So I had to learn to let go of that. I've learned to let go of the weight of having to be in control and to carry all the responsibility of something that I was never meant to carry. And that's been very freeing for me. What role has community played during your times of adversity? It's been life-changing. I mean, I've had people who, and I know it was God, because I've had people who are complete strangers. I mean, this is how I met April. You know, April was my very first friend that reached out to me, didn't know me, but we shared a similar path in battling this horrible disease. And so she reached out to me, and I just was blown away by that. And so I just had to learn to open myself up to people that I didn't pick. You know, I've always, I'm going to pick my friends. I'm going to pick who I want to talk to. I can even look at my phone and say, I don't want to talk to you right now. You know, I have control of that. But God just took all that away and just put me in situations with people where I was, you know, I felt like a toddler, like, you know, that's put in a room and go, okay, play nice with everybody. You know, and I'm the little girl that doesn't want to talk to anyone and I'm in the corner, you know, I didn't want anyone coming near me or touching me or wanting to give me a cookie Just stay away. And God had to break me of that. And so community is so important because all of my family live from Texas and West. 
you know, California, Hawaii, Seattle, Arizona, Nevada. I mean, you name it. If it's a West Coast state, Western state, that's probably where my family is. So I'm here in Nashville by myself. And so I have grown to depend on my spiritual family and just the community of people that God brings into my life. And I've had to learn to be accepting of that. What are three things that you want people to know about those who have to be caretakers in the midst of crisis? I think you need to make sure that you have solid legal counsel around you. It's very important for you to have those kinds of people to help navigate some of the issues that you will have in dealing with the medical industry, dealing with arrangements, dealing with care. You need to really do your research on your loved one's condition, treatment options, and remember that you are the advocate for the patient and to make sure that you are knowledgeable about what is being done and how they're being treated and the care that they're receiving. And thirdly, try to see this time together as a time that you are spending together before they are ushered before the throne of God. And it is a privilege. It is a hard walk, but it is one of the most incredible experiences also that you could ever have in helping to usher someone in, you know, into their next place. So, and God will give you the strength when that time comes. You've mentioned faith and we talked about community. What are some of the other things that provided the most comfort and healing uh, to you throughout this process? You know, one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of John. And my favorite chapters is John 17. This is the chapter where Jesus is praying in the garden to his father. And when you read right before that context, for the context of that, you know, Jesus has just had everyone turn on him. All his best friends who said, yeah, I'll be there, no problem. But, you know, they've left. They've scattered. I mean, Peter looked him right in the face and said, I have no idea who you are. And yet when you hear his words, and I read them even to this day, And they just make me, how can I ever be like that? I always tell the Lord, Lord, let me try to be as close to this as possible. I know I'm not ever going to be this on earth because I know I'm just too selfish and I like my shoes and people annoy me. And so I don't know that I will ever get to this place, but help me get there. And so when you read his words, how he prayed, how he prayed for us, for me, right there in that moment, praying for me and then praying for the ones that will come to know his father because of me, because of us. To know that he had enough forethought in that moment to think of us and not himself was the clearest revelation of unconditional love I have ever seen in my life. And so my husband loved me like that. And so I knew what that was like. And I knew that that was God's representation in human form of that kind of love for me. And so that has been such a source of encouragement to me because I know Jesus was afraid. I know he was scared. I know, I mean, yes, he was God in human form, but the Bible says he laid down his deity. You know, he laid down all of that to come and experience life as a human. So he knows that level of fear. He knew his father had a plan, but I don't think God gave him like, you know, here's son, here's a tour book. So today you're going to be picked up. You're going to be whipped beyond belief. All your flesh is going to be done. And then about three o'clock, you're going to be, you know, they're going to take you for, you know, he didn't have a blow by blow itinerary of what was going to happen. He had to trust his father. He had to trust his father in an absolutely horrendous situation and trust him that he would do what he said he was going to do even when he drew his last breath. 
And so that for me has been, that's always been that pla- that chapter that I went to. Whenever I thought it was horrible, whenever I couldn't take it anymore, I went back to the book of John and I dove into that chapter and I said, help me see it like this. You've got to help me see it like this for it to work and for me not to lose my mind. And so I go back to that often when I have to go through difficult situations to remind myself that he's been there and he knows and he will do what he says he's going to do. Who is doing something that interests you? Ooh, well, gosh, that's a hard one. There's lots of people. I can't wait to read Jenny's book. I love John, but I really want to read her book. I love the podcast. I love what Jared's doing. I love what Ryan Eller and Jared Muir are doing. I love what Clay Shaver's doing. I love what Kevin Buchanan is doing. I just met with him the other day and we talked and, you know, his story has just resonated with me. He lost his father. So we, it's just people like that. I see what they're doing and that's what I want to be doing. I start my morning with a little Live Your List podcast with Ryan Eller and Jared Murr. Good stuff. It is. Yep. I'm looking forward to starting my morning the Rene podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> my, my last day of school is May 6th. So once I get through that, I can breathe and then we can tackle all this stuff. Let's talk when that day comes because I can hopefully help you out with that. But in the meantime, there are listeners to this show right now that are going to want to contact you, that are going to want to talk to you because your story is so powerful. And some of these listeners are going through some challenging situations. They're probably going to want to just let you know that they heard from you and support you or Maybe they want to share something that they have a question about. So what's the best place for the listeners to connect with you online? Well, my blog site is currently under reconstruction. You can still access it in its current form, but it will be launching very soon in a remodeled format. But you can send me an email at info at ronaharden.com and it's spelled R-O-N-E-I-H-A-R-D-E-N.com. So info at ronaharden.com and I'll be able to get your messages and I'd be glad to help any of our listeners with any of their questions. Cool. You're also very entertaining on Twitter. Would you like to give your Twitter handle? (laughs) Yes. My Twitter handle is at Ronay Harden. You can also find me on Instagram. And yes, you have live Super Bowl and Oscars. And I know that they were very (laughs) funny. Yes. My clueless Super Bowl and my Oscar. Yes, I'm an award show person. It's very important. So as soon as all this sports stuff goes away, we can get back to the real things like fashion or Project Runway or the World (laughs) Cup games. Now that I get excited about. So Fair enough. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Yes. No matter what happens in this life, you were created to be awesome. So put on your cape and get your best shoes, and get out there and kick some butt. And I can't wait to meet you. Well said. Renee, thank you for sharing your story. God bless you. Best wishes to you and your blog and just all the exciting things that are going to come from all of this. So I'm looking forward to your podcast and the book, and there's a lot to look forward to for you. So thank you for being generous and coming on the show. And April, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you. Well, April, thanks so much for being there. And Jared, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to do this. Absolutely. God just kind of threw me in the midst of a bunch of people I didn't even know in the midst of a situation that I was so totally not prepared to walk into. And I guess the rest you can say is history changed my world forever.